0: Our scripture this morning is from Acts eleven, nineteen through 30. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul.
1: Good morning. I grew up spiritually under the preaching of Ray Stedman and David Roper at Peninsula Bible Church in California. And one of the things that Ray Stedman in particular was fond of saying is that the church, the church of Jesus Christ is the most powerful force on earth. It's more powerful than anything else in society. It contains the very life of God. The, the church is the body of Christ, the presence of the powerful God on earth. It has more influence than anything else In society, especially when we are being the church that God called us to be. It's a really high calling, isn't it? And a great responsibility upon all of us. (laughs) Well, today we're being introduced to certainly one of the most influential and powerful churches that has ever been on the face of the earth the church in Antioch. It was in Ancient Syria, which today actually it's right on the tip of southern tip of Turkey, right on the, right next to Syria. But uh, it was the first Gentile church, which was significant in itself. Pretty amazing. It's the first one and became the model for all the other Gentile churches throughout history. It was the sending church for the Apostle Paul for all his missionary journeys. And they also sent Barnabas and Silas and others. It, It was a church that had a huge impact on the entire Roman Empire. It also became a lighthouse in the darkness in the city of Antioch itself for the next several hundred years. Some of the great church fathers were established and wrote and taught and preached in the city of Antioch for the next several hundred years. So what made this church, the Church of Antioch, so influential that it transformed its world? Well, while every church is unique. Coal has its own footprint, and the church down the street has its own kind of footprint and design. The specific qualities that we see in the Church of Antioch are foundational qualities that I think are important for every church. If we really want to live out our calling as the most powerful force in society. If we're to live up to our calling to be a church that can change the world, and it's important for us, every one of us, to understand how we fit into that church, how we can live out our calling so that we can live out what God's called us to be as members of his local church and his universal church. So let's pray, and we'll dig into the church at Antioch. Lord, thank you for Your Word, again, that is powerful, it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates to the very division of soul and spirit. And as we think about the church in our world today, there seems to be a lot of confusion about what you've called us to be. May you bring clarity to our hearts and minds so we can more fully be what you are calling each one of us to be as part of your body, The very church of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me just preface all this by going a little deeper with this whole idea of the church. You know, if we look around us at the church today, in America and around the world, it actually seems like the church is losing influence, not gaining influence. So, what do we need? How do we have more influence? How do we be the church that can make a real difference in the world? Do we need more mega churches? We just had bigger churches, you know, we could have more power, more influence. Maybe we need to give more money. If we just gave more money, we'd have more money for more programs and we could influence the world more fully. Maybe we just need better programs to really attract more people. Maybe we need more dynamic preaching better use of social media and technology, you know, just an untapped source of the ways we can just reach so many people. Maybe we need more visible Christian celebrities, you know. We just need to bring more really big names to Christ so people will really be drawn to the gospel. You know, these are all techniques that have been tried. I'm not convinced that those are what God's calling us to In fact, if we look at the church of Antioch, we see some things that are very different than all of those. And if we really want to be the church that God's called us to be, I think this is a very, very helpful passage. So Antioch was on the coast or near the coast on the Orontes River, and it was in ancient Syria. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire in the first century. It was actually about the size of Boise to Nampa, a little over half a million people. It was multicultural. There was uh, just a lot going on. It was a place where there were a lot of Jews, but there were a lot of Gentiles of all different types. So it was a great place, I think, to plant the gospel. So I want to just point out six qualities I see as we go through the establishment of the church in Antioch six qualities that I think are very helpful for us to understand what God's design is for the church. Very interesting, the very first one we see is that the church in Antioch was born of adversity. Born of adversity. Verse 19, let me read that again. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. As you recall, back in chapter 7, Stephen gave his speech before the Sanhedrin, and they stoned him to death. And a great persecution, we're told, broke out, and uh, the church was scattered because of that persecution. In fact, Saul says later that many, many others were put to death, not just Stephen it was a very difficult time in this church uh, the apostles stayed in jerusalem but others were forced out of their homes they were forced to leave their communities they were forced out of jerusalem and out of judea and they scattered to other nations do you know what they were called those displaced people refugees <laughs> they were refugees and they were refugees to syria isn't that interesting Interesting. Fleeing to Syria to protect their lives. They'd lost most everything, but as they went, interesting, I I think about them, and I think, you know, my tendency probably, and many of us, would have been, okay, I got persecuted there. I'm going to go kind of hunker down here in Syria, and I'm going to find a place to just sort of find a job and get my life back together and you know, kind of lay low a little while because the world's kind of scary out there. But you know what they did? It says they went around speaking the word to no one except Jews. And then verse 20, you see how they were speaking to Gentiles as well. (laughs) They went around speaking. And it says first they went to the Jews. Now think about it. The Jews had just forced them out of Jerusalem. The very people... Who had persecuted them were the first ones they went to to share the gospel. That doesn't sound very wise, does it? (laughs) Well, they weren't worried about wisdom at that point. They were worried about talking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus. They kept talking about him. And I think about this, how God's design to plant the church in Antioch was to take a bunch of people, persecute them, scatter them as refugees, And they became the very ones that planted the church. I get emails all the time about the latest church planning principles that if you apply these six principles or ten principles, you know, you can plan a church and it's mostly out of business principles where uh, if you make the word known to ten thousand people, the The statistics show that 3% will come, so you'll have 300 people on your first meeting. And, I mean, there's all these things that they tell you. Interesting that God didn't use any of that. (laughs) He just used a bunch of people that he scattered through persecution, and they kept talking about Jesus, and the church was planted. Let it be a reminder to all of us. Life is hard, and we experience trials and difficulties. But those are the very things our trials, our difficulties are the very things that God uses to expand his kingdom. You see that all through the scriptures, right? I mean, look at Joseph, for example, who was hated by his brothers. They were going to kill him. They finally sold him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt in jail. And, but he becomes a leader that actually provides food for the entire known world of his day. Incredible impact because of his suffering. And we could go on to David, running in the wilderness, and Moses, 40 years in the wilderness, Paul and all the struggles he experienced, and all of that is proof to us that the trials we go through, God uses to expand his kingdom. And isn't that true, though? I mean, if you go through a difficult time, maybe struggling with some kind of cancer or whatever, doesn't God bring people into your life that you then get to minister to who are going through similar struggles? God uses our trials to expand the kingdom. The church was born of adversity, (laughs) adversity. Second quality I see of the church of Antioch in this passage is that they were a gossiping church, (laughs) a gossiping church. Now, wait a minute. What are you saying here? (laughs) Gossip's a sin, right? Right? Yeah, it's listed in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse twenty. In a list of sins, it says, "Don't gossip." Basically, the Greek word there is, if I can say it right, psithurismos. Psithurismos. Just listen to the sound of that. Doesn't it sound like gossip? Psithurismos. Psithurismos. It actually means to whisper behind somebody's back. (laughs) That is a sin, right? We're not to talk behind people's backs about them. That is a sin. But I like the definition of gossip from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. It says this, a person who habitually reveals personal or sensational facts about others. Let me say that again. A person who habitually shares personal or sensational facts About others. Now let's just take that for a minute and think about it. Verse 20 listen. There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. The word that's in my translation, speaking, is in a Greek tense that says they were constantly speaking, habitually speaking. And what were they saying? They were talking about the Lord Jesus. They were gossiping about the Lord Jesus. They could not be quiet about Jesus. (laughs) It was a gossiping church, but in the right way, right? They could not stop talking about Jesus. So much so that they first started talking to Greeks. They were all Greek background, but they were from Gentile areas. They knew Gentiles, and they were speaking about Jesus to them. They cross this social and racial barrier to speak the gospel, to speak about Jesus to these other people, to Gentiles. Now, they were Jewish believers from outside Jerusalem. They knew Gentiles in their world, and I think that made it easier, less of a barrier for them than maybe the Jews that had grown up in Jerusalem and in Judea area. In fact, Willie Jensen, the commentator, says this. They were able to do this because they lived in the in-between spaces of life and culture. The in-between spaces. If if we get so into our Christian culture that we don't live in any in-between spaces, it's really harder to share the gospel. God calls us to live in those in-between spaces of life and culture. And what strikes me about this is these are the ones who established the church. You know, there, there weren't any Luis Palau's here. There weren't any Billy Graham's. It was simply ordinary Christians who happened to be refugees who could not stop talking about Jesus. Yeah, we should never gossip about one another behind one another's backs. That's a sin. But we are to gossip about Jesus. We are to habitually share, reveal personal and sensational facts about him. We should be gossiping about him. You may have heard this quote before, but it's a famous quote by an avowed atheist, Penn Gillette, And he said this, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. (laughs) This is from an atheist, okay? I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them because this would make it socially awkward and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I just tackle you. (laughs) And this is more important than that. (laughs) That's from an atheist, brothers and sisters. I, I just think I just think we've gotten too safe, too afraid to talk about Jesus, to gossip about Jesus. Now, I understand there's passages that say, you know, be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is within you if anybody asks. I get that, and, and, and there's, that's sometimes true. But, but I think too often we just think, well, I'll just live a good life and wait until they ask me about the hope within. But you know what? We don't have time for that. <laughs> we don't have time for that. Most of us in this room, I would wager, I would love to hear all your stories, but most of in this r- us in this room would have never come to Jesus if somebody hadn't been willing to talk about Jesus, to share Jesus with you. That's true for me. If a friend hadn't stepped across that social barrier and shared Jesus with me, I don't know that I'd be here today. The church at Antioch was established not by church planning techniques, not by big evangelists. It was simply by ordinary people like you and me just being willing to gossip about Jesus. Third quality I see of the church in Antioch here is that God's grace was visible. It was evident. Verse 21 through 23, I want to read that again. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Man, people were coming to Christ. These people were gossiping about Jesus and all kinds of people were coming to the Lord, all these Gentiles. And the church in Jerusalem hears about it and they think, man, we need to send somebody. And I think they probably wanted to keep Barnabas. I mean, he's a good guy. He's a son of encouragement, right, was his name, his nickname. They, they love Barnabas. But think about it for a minute. Where was Barnabas from? He was from Cyprus, a Jew from Cyprus, and who had shared the gospel with the Gentiles and established his church? Jews from Cyprus and Cyrene. I, I'm thinking they're hearing about what's going on up there in Antioch, and Barnabas says, "Yeah, Hey, I know those guys. <laughs> I grew up with them in the synagogue. Let me go. He probably volunteered to go and see what was going on. And he got there, and what happened? It says he saw the grace of God. Saw the grace of God. What did he see? Well, I think what he was seeing is changed lives. He was seeing people who were living a Gentile life, and they're hearing the gospel, and all of a sudden they're they're willing to be rejected by their family and friends and by their culture and turn to Jesus and start following him and they're excited about growing and being part of this new community and seeing what God was doing in them and through them and who knows miracles we're not told what he actually saw but he saw evidence that God was work working there the hand of the lord was visible You see, what was going on was nothing that man could accomplish through all his planning and efforts and organization. This was clearly a work of God. As I think about the church, and in particular the church in America today, I sometimes wonder if we are really dependent enough on Jesus. If all our church stuff and programs are really more evidence of what man can do than what God can do. I wonder if someone walking in to our church or any church in America might be impressed by all the great stuff that man has done. Or would they walk in and say, Wow, the hand of the Lord's here. (laughs) The grace of God is evident here. God's at work in this place. You see, I think we need to understand that the church at Antioch, the hand of the Lord was evident. It was visible. It was clearly there. And unless God did something, nothing would happen. May everything we do carry that perspective that unless God works, nothing is going to happen here. The grace of God was visible. Fourth, Fourth was the leadership. Antioch had spirit-filled and humble leaders. Spirit-filled and humble leaders. Again, they sent Barnabas, and in verse 23 it says he came, and it says he rejoiced in what was going on, verse 24, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So, Here's Barnabas. I'm so struck. He's just a humble guy who just wants to encourage everybody. And he's excited about what he sees happening, and he just wants to encourage them to stay true to the Lord. And then he goes, verse 25, and gets Saul. He left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians, in Antioch now Barnabas kind of blew it here this was his chance to be a senior pastor you know I mean he could have taken charge of this place man there's this new church and I'm going to be the senior pastor here I'm going to take charge but no he was a godly man full of the Holy Spirit and therefore he went and got someone to work with him in a team I think it took great humility to do that. You know, think about what we tend to look for in leaders. Who do you think, wow, now that is a great church leader? Just think about that for a minute. Someone who's just a fabulous teacher, and there's a lot of incredible teachers out there. A person with great vision. Someone who's a motivator who can get people moving. Charismatic personality whatever it might be. But what does Barnabas do? Well, he encourages the people and he goes and gets Saul. And here's what strikes me about Saul. Saul, do you remember the last time we saw Saul? The last time we saw Saul, remember he'd come to Christ and he was so excited about arguing with the Jews about the gospel and he got just stirring up trouble in Damascus. He had to be let through a basket to save his life. And he ran to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he started arguing with the Jews again and trying to convince them. And no one one could contradict him. He was so brilliant. And he was stirring up all kinds of conflict and trouble. And the early church in Jerusalem sent him to Tarsus. They said, get out of town. You're causing too much trouble. And it says they sent him out of town and... The church in Jerusalem experienced a time of great peace, and many were coming to the Lord. Now, this is eight to ten years later. What's happened to Saul during those eight to ten years? You know, we're really not told a whole lot except by the very words of Paul himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12. Starting in verse 30 of 2 Corinthians 11, he says this, If I have to boast, I'll boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Aratas, the king, was guarding the city of the Democenes in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall. And so escaped his hands. Then chapter 12, verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of revelations that he had, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and this is what he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ may dwell in me. What happened during those eight to ten years? Paul was broken. Broken of his self-confidence. He began to realize that what's really important is the power of God at work in our weakness, not our boldness or abilities or any of that. It's Christ in us. That's what's important. And part of the reason I, I see the humility of Saul here is when Barnabas goes to Tarsus to see him, it says he searched for him and finally found him. Now, if Saul was in the synagogue arguing with everybody, everybody would have known where he was. But Barnabas had to actually seek for him to find him, and then he brought him to Antioch, two humble leaders, two broken men who simply stay and teach and disciple and love the church. Nothing flashy. It says they met together in community. I I like the word met together. It's a word that's used of gathering fish in a net. They just, man, they huddled in together as a new community, this church, the church of Antioch, and they just studied the word together sat under Barnabas and Saul's teaching and began to really understand what the gospel was all about. I know we're drawn to powerful, charismatic leaders, but those aren't the kind that Antioch had, and they aren't the kind that God typically uses. The fifth quality I see of the church of Antioch is that they were devoted to the word. We saw that in that verse. Verse 26 that they huddled in together and they studied the Word together for an entire year. The people were thirsty for the Word to be taught. The main focus of their community life together was being around the Word, being in the Word, learning the Word, hearing from God. You see, clear teaching of the Word, working through the Scriptures, teaching the whole counsel of God, Paul says later in Acts, is what he did. That's foundational for the church. It's got to be foundational. If it's not there, the church will not be healthy. So they were teaching the word. But let me, let me say this. They were teaching the word in community. In community. Why am I emphasizing that? Well, you know, in our day and age, because of media, you can get fabulous teaching I mean, there's a lot of teachers out there far better than me. Let's just say it. But, uh, well, that raises the question, right? Why show up at church? You can get great teaching wherever. Even our teaching, by the way, is online, right? (laughs) But Antioch is an example of how God wants the church to be. In other words, he wants to use, he's chosen to use the word taught in community as people are gathered together and they know their shepherds and their shepherds know them and we're learning to walk together and encourage each other and love each other and care for each other as the word is taught in community. He's chosen to be present in his physical church which he calls his body. His physical body, the body of Christ, and it's being in community and hearing from him in community that transforms the world and our own hearts. That's what he's chosen. You may not think it's the best way, but that's what he's chosen. (laughs) Devoted to the word in community. Final quality I see in the Church of Antioch is they were sacrificially loving verse 27 through 30 you see this Uh, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch one of them named Agabus said hey the Lord's told me there's going to be a famine in all the known world and so what what did the church in Antioch do man we better start hoarding our money because and our stuff because there's a famine coming no they didn't do that in fact, what they did is they said, you know what, the church in Jerusalem, they're going to be especially needy from this famine, and they're the mother church, we owe them, we want to bless them, so let's, let's gather, and it says everybody gave according to what they had, they gathered it together and sent it by Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas to the church in Jerusalem to bless them, to give sacrificially. And it really strikes me that, hey, wait a minute, these Gentiles (laughs) had been really put down all their lives by the Jews around them. The Jews looked down on Gentiles, right? They were the goyim, they were Gentiles. They're not God's chosen people, and they'd experienced that all their lives. It would have been so easy for them to say, they're just kind of getting what they deserve. (laughs) They didn't. No, they said, no, we want to bless the church, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. So they sent them a gift, probably pretty significant gift. You see, a, a, a sign that the grace of God is moving among a body is sacrificially loving others especially financially, but in all kinds of ways. I mean all kinds of ways, right? (laughs) Uh, The people hear the word taught and they're moved to give, to give their lives away, to give their money away, to look for ways to bless other people through what they have. They're trusting God to take care of themselves so they give themselves away. And, you know, I love being part of Cole because I love watching your generosity. This is a very generous church. Our global outreach budget reaching people locally and abroad with the gospel is over 700,000. And that's all you giving. Besides what it takes to support the staff and our ministries here. In addition to that, you guys are so giving. I I love watching people give, especially in the small groups, in the growth groups and other small groups. When someone's in need, how they gather together and just give and care and love one another. If you're not in a small group where you get to experience that kind of opportunity to give and love others and to receive that from one another, I encourage you to get in a growth group. I encourage you to get in a small group. I encourage you to find some place where you can build that kind of community because... It's important we gather like this, but it's also equally as important that you're in a small group. We need both. We need both. There were amazing things going on in Antioch. (laughs) The people of God were gathered together sharing their faith. The grace of God was evident in that and the word of God was being taught. The church at Antioch was a church that changed the world. But I I don't know about you, but I look at these six qualities and I go, you know, there's nothing really super dramatic here. (laughs) They were just kind of doing church and learning to love each other and depend on the Lord and trust Him. Well, I think that's exactly the point. It's not what we do that's dramatic. It's us learning to depend on an incredible, supernatural, awesome, gracious, powerful God that changes the world. Any church would do well to stay true to the basic characteristics we see in Antioch. Learning to value our suffering and letting God use that to bless others. Learning to gossip about Jesus everywhere we go. Learning to depend on His grace and seeing that it's His working that's important and depend on Him and praying for Him and depend... Looking to him to work and his hand to be what does the ministry. Having spirit filled and humble leaders who depend on the Lord, who have been broken and have learned to trust him. Staying true, devoted to the word, and sacrificially loving. You see, that's the kind of church that God uses to change the world. I want to read a quote from Francis Chan in his book, Letters to the Church where he says this, do you see why all of this that we've been talking about matters so much? See, many today treat the church as optional, as some outdated way to connect to God that's long outlived its usefulness. They'd rather connect with God on their own, in their own way, without all the weird people making things more difficult. We can empathize with many of their feelings about the church, right? Yeah, you're pretty weird, i got to say. <laughs> but when we see the church from God's perspective, when we appreciate it according to God's design, we're left in wonder. Who but God could come up with such a beautiful and ingenious plan? I'm going to close with reading some verses from Ephesians chapter 3, where... Paul is talking about his ministry to the Gentiles, which began right here in Antioch. <laughs> and listen to what he says, verse Ephesians 3 8 and following. To me, he says, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring it to light, bring to light what it was the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Now listen to verse 10, "So that the manifold witness, wisdom, excuse me, manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places." You see, the church isn't just something that influences the world here. There's something mysterious going on where God is using the church in all our weirdness and our weakness as we're being the church that God's called us to be, that not only has an impact as the greatest force on earth, but it's revealing the wisdom of God to all the powers and authorities in the heavenly places. Isn't that amazing? That's how God wants to use us as we just be. The church. So let's be the church, shall we? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the example of the church at Antioch that helps us kind of just go back to the basics. And Lord, we admit that sometimes we just get frustrated with the church because it's kind of messy and it is weird and it's hard sometimes, but clearly you've chosen the church in all its messiness to be the very force that brings the gospel and changes the world and even reveals your wisdom in the heavenly. So may we be the church you've called us to be here at Cole, and beyond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.